you again for giving. Thank you for being here. It's so good to see uh, each and every one of you, whether you're visiting us for the first time or whether you're a, a longtime member. We just are thrilled that you're here. And if you're online, thanks for joining us as well. If this is your first time, we have a coffee mug and a coffee card and some chocolate, some things we just want to bless you with. You can stop by the Welcome Center and uh, uh, the Owens there will be happy to uh, give you our uh, guest gift. If you have a Bible this morning, I want you to turn to Malachi. Last fall, we went through the book of Amos, one of the first uh, times I've ever done a series on the minor prophet Amos. And from that, I started looking into this prophet by the name of Malachi. Now, that's the last book of the Old Testament. I want you to remember that there was about 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. So this is the last prophetic voice to Israel before who we know as John the Baptist. If you're keeping track of all the prophets, after Malachi, there was 400 years of silence, and then comes John the Baptist proclaiming that Jesus Christ the Messiah was here. As we learned last week in our lessons from Malachi, Malachi means the message. And we're really not sure if there was a man by the name of Malachi or not. There might have been. Or this book might have just been named The Message because God had something to say to the people of Israel and God has something to say to you and I today. We do know uh, the Malachi lived about 100 years, or I should say this book was written about 100 years after Zechariah. But after that, we really don't know anything about Malachi. We don't know his identity. We don't know his background. It's not like Amos. Uh, we had a little bit of, a, uh, of an opportunity to, to know about him as a person. But Malachi, all we can really ascertain is he was dealing with very cynical people. Hey, does that sound familiar? <laughs> like 2022? He was trying to reason with them. And as he reasoned with them, what they would do is just kind of say, oh, yeah. They would kind of shrug him off. Just like we see in our culture today. People who are very cynical about the things of God, and when you try to reason with them, they tend to shrug it off. And I'm not just talking about people out in our community. I'm talking about people who come to church who go through the motions just as they did in this day and age, but actually neglect the things that God is telling them to do. One of those things we learned last week was giving. Another was taking care of the poor, the marginalized. And those acts of disobedience grieve the Holy Spirit. Not only back in the day of Malachi, but it grieves the Holy Spirit in our day as well. And it's interesting that you don't just wake up and become cynical. You don't just wake up and find yourself in a state of, of disobedience to the Lord. Our actions are always the result of small decisions, small compromises along the way. Remember last week what we learned? We learned that direction determines your destiny. Whatever direction you're headed is going to determine where you end up. 
And if you're going in the wrong direction, there's only one thing to do, and that is to turn around, readjust your direction so that you can arrive at the destiny that you want. That happens in our daily life with daily choices. That's why last week we looked at Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, where Jesus simply says, return to me. Return to me. We talked about that last week. This week, we're going to talk about one of those areas that the Israelites were cynical about and were not doing and were disobedient to the Lord, and that was the area of giving, the area of giving. We all are uh, probably familiar with the text today, Matthew or uh, Malachi 3, beginning with verse 8 and then continuing with verse uh, 9 and 10. I want to read the first uh, few verses ahead of our text, though, to give you a little background. It says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Because God's good. God's full of love and mercy, isn't he? Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees. You've not kept them. And here's what we studied last week. Return to me and I'll return to you. What a wonderful promise. Jesus said, come to me. There's always an invitation to run back to the Father. And remember, he meets us. He doesn't wait till we get to him. He meets us as we're running. And then the scripture says, you ask, how do we return? So that's where we pick up Malachi 3 today. Verse 8 Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. So to return to God, we have to make that right. We can't continue to rob God. And we ask, and the Israelites ask, how are we robbing you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. And then the verse that everyone knows out of Malachi Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. What a great promise. And I think all of us that have aligned ourselves with the financial principles of the kingdom can testify to the fact that we are blessed beyond measure. We are blessed far above anything that we've given because you can't outgive God. Now, a question I want to address right off the bat because I'm occasionally asked this when we talk about giving are Christians required to tithe? I've had people say, Is it a sin not to tithe? Well, let me give you the short answer. The question or the answer is no. I do not believe the Christians are required to tithe in the New Testament the same way they were in the Old Testament. I do not believe it is a sin not to tithe. We're not required to tithe. But why wouldn't you want to tithe? You see, that's the thing. It's not a legalistic thing. It's not an obligation. It's something that we are invited into, the financial kingdom of God. It's not do I have to, it's do I get to. 
do I get to? See, let me stay here for just a moment. There are Old Testament laws that have carried over to the New Testament, to the New Covenant, post-resurrection. We know we're under a new covenant. We're not under the same covenant. There are some Old Testament laws that have carried over. Read the Ten Commandments. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not commit adultery. Worship God alone, and so on and so forth. But there's also many other Old Testament laws that no longer apply to us. And we understand that. You can blend cotton and wool and wear them together. Did you know it's okay for you to eat coconut shrimp? It's okay. You can have bacon. You can even work on Saturday if you need to. But there are some laws in the Old Testament that were part of the moral code. That's what I'm talking about. Those laws are intended for all time. doesn't matter what covenant we live under. But saying that, we realize there are Old Testament laws that are part of the Old Covenant that were required in that day and age and in that culture, required for righteousness. Remember, this is all pre-cross, pre-the Messiah, So there were sacrifices that were required. Are we required to sacrifice now? No, because Jesus came and went to the cross and he sacrificed his life once and for all. We don't need another sacrifice. I am so glad that we're not under some of those Old Testament laws and restrictions. And if you go back and study historically, you'll see a lot of them were designed for the health of the people, the hygiene of the people, to protect the people. It's my conviction, friends, that we no longer pay our tithe like we're paying a bill or or paying a, a tax of some kind. Under the Old Testament, it was required. You were to give a tithe. But friends, we're under the New Testament. The New Testament and the law of grace gives us this radical new approach to giving. We don't give because we have to give. We give because we want to give. It's all about our attitude. And that's really what I want to speak about this morning. Name of my message is what you sow is what you get. We understand that. What you sow is what you get. We're no longer required. But under the new covenant, we have this imperative to give. It's mentioned several times in the New Testament. It's mentioned in the Gospels, mentioned in Acts, mentioned in the Epistles. So I want you to kind of Shift your thinking for just a moment about giving. (laughs) You shouldn't be motivated by the threat of punishment, that you're doing something wrong, that you have to do this to please God. Be motivated by the promise of the blessing that Jesus gives to us. See, it's not an attitude that says, I give because I have to give. It's an attitude that says, I give because I want to give. I give because I care. 
I give because I've been so blessed. I give because it's a joy to give. Two verses I want us to look at, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. See, it's not a, a law. It's not an obligation. It's very clear. Give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, like it's something you have to do. That's why I, I do really believe a New Testament Christian is not required to tithe. Now, some of you might struggle with that. That's okay. I still think we need to tithe, but we do it because we've decided out of love, out of service, out of our heart, not under compulsion, as the Bible says. For then that verse finishes, God loves what? A cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. I believe God can bless someone who cheerfully gives $40 in the offering, probably more than he blesses someone who begrudges giving their $200 in the offering. Because God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God's looking at our heart. What's our motivation? I am so thrilled that we can support the Colbys and that we can be part of what God is doing. I am glad that we can partner with them in Belgium. Don't have to do it. I'm just glad that we're invited to do it, to be part of what God's doing around the world. Notice that Paul doesn't give any specific percentage here. Paul says, what you give is up to you. It's a decision in your heart as the Lord leads you. I believe a tithe is a good place to shoot for, that 10%. I believe that. I give beyond my tithe. Many of you give beyond your tithe. Another New Testament verse that kind of helps us to, I guess, guide our philosophy of giving. Man, it just bothers me when people feel obligated to give. Because that's not the way that God wants us to give. So another verse that helps us is in Luke chapter 6. And Jesus himself said this, verse 38. He says, give and it will be given back to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Man, years ago, I remember C.K. Barnes, uh, kind of a mentor of mine down in Oregon, preaching a sermon, and he had a teaspoon, and then he had this big honking shovel. <laughs> and it was his, his way of illustrating. Do you want to give a teaspoon? You can do that. Expect a teaspoon full of blessings. But if you have a big old bull-nosed shovel... And that's how you give. That's what you can expect in return. The measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. See, that's a biblical principle. If you need more friends in your life, why don't you be friends to more people? You see what I'm saying? You will reap what you sow. This is not just a financial principle. It's a biblical principle. It runs all the way through the Bible. It's a spiritual law. Some of you are going to the Dominican Republic with Linda and I in June. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt when you come home, you're going to say, wow, I was blessed so much more 
then I was a blessing to them. It just works that way. So no, we're no longer under the curse of the law, but we can still experience the blessings of the promises that God made through the law. So the words that God spoke to Malachi apply to the principles of the New Testament. It's about our attitude. Remember what I said? Malachi was dealing with cynical people. Remember they were going through some of the, you know, religious motions that they were required to. Not all of them, but they would go through certain religious uh, motions. But that's not what God was looking for even in the days of Malachi. He was looking for the reason, the attitude. He's always looking at our heart. So let's look real quickly here at three areas in which we might need to kind of fine-tune our attitude. I don't know about you, but I need my attitude fine-tuned sometimes multiple times throughout the day. You know, just tweak it a little bit. And I think if we can tweak our attitude, if we can get our attitude about giving aligned with the Holy Spirit's leadership, man, you're going to experience a harvest of blessings. Number one, we need to develop a right attitude about our resources. Our resources. See, God said in verse 8, we read it earlier, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me. Let's think about that for a moment. Even though we're not strictly bound to that 10% number, where it becomes so legalistic, you know, we have to take one tomato out of every 10 that we grow in our garden and bring it to a food bank or whatever. We're not bound legally, but we are bound to the principle of giving with a cheerful heart. God wants us all to give. And man, if you're not giving, and I, I say this gently, but you're, you're robbing God. Because in refusing to give, you're refusing to acknowledge that it all came from God anyway. Everything we have has been given to us by God. I think it was Virgil one time that said, you know, I just feel so privileged. God allows me to keep 90% of everything that I'm managing for him. That's a good attitude. <laughs> God's allowing me to keep 90% of, of all of his stuff. I know people who can never be blessed financially because of their attitude. This is mine. I worked for it. I worked hard for it. I'm not going to give it up. After all my hard work, you think I'm going to let God rob me of some of this money? You see, that, that's a heart problem. People develop that when they're not able to recognize the blessings of God. Oh, whatever kind of car you, you get into or the public transportation you might take back home today, it's a blessing from God. You and I have been placed in this generation, in this church, in this country. We have been given skills to do the job we need to do. We've been given opportunities to excel. Even your talents are gifts from God. Man, when I find myself resistant in the idea of giving, I realize the breakdown begins with the attitude I have of my resources. Instead of seeing all I've been given as an opportunity to bless others and as an opportunity to express my gratitude to God for his goodness in my life, 
I'm tempted to look at those resources as if I'm being robbed at gunpoint by God. But they're not mine anyway. That's, we need to adjust our thinking. All that we have is God's. There's an old story about a farmer. He sat down at the family dinner table one night to pray, and he said, well, Lord, we plowed it, and we planted it. We watered it, and we fertilized it. When harvest came, we worked hard, and we picked it. We cleaned it, and my wife cooked it. But I guess I'll thank you for it anyway. You see how this farmer's attitude could prevent him from experiencing God's blessing in his life? We need to realize God's not robbing us when he asks us to give. But we're robbing him when we refuse to give. Because everything we have is a blessing of God's grace in our life. Thank God for your intellect Thank God for your physical ability to work hard. But even that is a gift from God. The second thing that sometimes we need to tweak our attitude about, the first is resources, and the other is our responsibility. God has blessed us with resources. He's placed us in a world filled with need. And he's given us the responsibility to do something about it. He said in verse 10, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now I want to go back and let's talk about what that might mean in context. The storehouse was a place in the temple. In the temple that the Jews went to on the Sabbath to worship, there was a place called the storehouse. And it was used to store grain and other food that was given in tithe and offerings. It was a place used to support the temple staff. Now, some of you remember those days that maybe you did bring in some produce or a chicken or something into the church to give to your pastor so he could eat. Those days are kind of long gone because now the church, for the most part, you know, takes good care of their, of their pastors. But there was a time that people actually brought in physical things, brought in produce, brought in things that they wanted to bless their pastor with, and that is really based on the way that the Old Testament worked. The storehouse, this place that they stored grain and vegetables and fruit. Part of the tithing structure was designed to look after the fatherless, the widows and the aliens. And they had an actual storehouse. So this word storehouse really does mean storehouse in Malachi. It's not just talking about, you know, an offering plate or an offering bucket or something. It was like a distribution center for the poor. I was down at Servanache Valley recently and walked through the fresh market there where there's vegetables and there's boxes of pasta and there's wonderful things that people can just go into Servanache, go to the fresh market. It's like going into a grocery store. 
no shame, no embarrassment. You just go and you shop, give what you want, but you don't have to pay anything. It's kind of like a storehouse that we have as 30-some churches work together through Serve Wenatchee. It's a distribution center for those who have need. Book of Deuteronomy chapter 15 says, I command you, I command you. It doesn't say I suggest to you. It doesn't say I exhort you. It doesn't say I wish you would. We we see that kind of verbiage in other places of the Bible. In Deuteronomy, it says, I command you. That should make us all sit up and take note to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and the needy in your land. God has always had a heart for the poor. And if we want the heart of Jesus, we need to have a heart for the poor too. Someone once said, you can't worship God and ignore the poor. Why? Because it's our responsibility. We have resources. It's our responsibility. John Wesley said that when we don't use our money responsibly for God's work, we're not only robbing God, we're also robbing the poor, the hungry, and the naked. God's plan is that we, his people, be a blessing to the world. That's why the the offerings we receive here at the church every, every time we gather, those that give online or text in their giving or mail in their giving. It's much more than keeping the lights on. It's not about just providing oil to keep the machinery going. About 10% of every dollar given here at Wenatchee First Assembly is given out to other ministries. I'm proud of that. It's not just about us. It's about us Realizing we have resources and then we have a responsibility as a church, but we also have responsibility as individuals. We could probably do a lot of stuff with $4,200 a month if we didn't support missions. <laughs> but we're lining our giving up to the command of Christ to take the gospel to the entire world. That's why our money goes to missions. <laughs> That's why some of our money goes to feeding the poor right here in Wenatchee. We have a responsibility. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, and I thought about this oh, a couple weeks ago. I was working on some financial reports that we'll be giving at our annual meeting. And I thought, God, you have just blessed us beyond measure. And I thought of the scripture that says, For whomever much is given, much will be required. So then I shifted my focus, not what do we have, but the other side of the ledger, what are we doing with it? (laughs) There's no question. Much has been given. We have responsibility. Responsibility to give responsibly. I'm not talking about throwing money at problems. I'm not talking about just giving handouts to people. I'm not just talking about supporting 
anyone. We have no idea what they're using the money for. Not all of our money goes to Assemblies of God missions. We have some Foursquare missionaries. We have some Church of God missionaries. We support Wycliffe. We support other, but we always support people that we know have accountability, that have supervision, that have spiritual authority, because we want to be responsible with our resources. You and I need to do that in our own lives. That's why Paul said in the book of Galatians chapter 6, therefore, as we have opportunity to do good, let us do good to all people, but especially to those in the family of believers. doesn't mean that we don't help non-Christians, but it does mean we do have a primary responsibility to take care of people of faith. I'm glad when we can help anybody with rent, but it blesses my heart when we can help one of our own members with rent. You know what I'm saying? We need to develop and maintain a generous attitude toward our resources, toward our responsibility. And the third thing that we just need to tweak, I guess, in our attitude is we need to develop the right attitude about the results. You see, it's not our job to produce the harvest. It's not our job to make sure that the missionary or the ministry is measuring up to what we think they should. <laughs> Once you give, you fulfill your responsibility. Listen to what God said again in, in verse 10. I think this is really, really powerful. Bring your tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. Test me, says the Lord, and see if I'll not open the floodgates of heaven. Pour out so much blessing there'll be no more room to store it. See, something most of us have learned, you can't outgive God. You just can't. You give and it comes back, and you give and it comes back. And the more you give to him, the more you give to others in his name, the more blessings pour back into your life. You know what I like about this verse? He says, test me. It's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. Now, if you look up the Hebrew root word, the actual verb, it is actually used in the way that God examines his people. For example, in Zechariah chapter 13, God says, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. That's the same root word that we find here in Malachi. To know if gold is really gold or if it's just a piece of yellow colored metal, you've got to put it through the test. If it's the real deal, the test will prove it. So one of the ways that God is looking at us to see if we're the real deal is he's testing us. The New Testament is very clear about this. It says... Those who love God keep my commandments. Oh, you can say you love God, but the Lord is looking at you through the testing, the refining. So God says in Malachi, test me, meaning be faithful in your giving. See what happens. 
and I'll open up the window of heaven. I'll pour out a blessing. What did Jesus say? Let's look at it again. Luke 6, 38. Give, it'll be given unto you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. When you give, God blesses you. There's no way of getting around that. Solomon said it in Proverbs chapter 11. I love this verse. A generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Isn't that good? Maybe the blessings come in material ways. Maybe they'll come in spiritual ways. Maybe both. Our Thursday morning men's group a couple weeks ago was talking about giving. That's one of the spiritual disciplines of godly men. And it was really cool to hear some of the men talk about how they believe that God had extended the life of their vehicle because they've been faithful to tithe. I remember one of the guys said, you know, it was amazing. Uh, all the other kids in the neighborhood seemed to be getting sick and needed medicine and doctors, and, but our kids seemed to be fine. They, they never got sick. And he saw that that was a way that God was blessing him and giving back to him. It's not a dollar-for-dollar dollar deal. It's not like, okay, I'll give 10 bucks, and then God's going to give me back 20 bucks. It's not. that. But it does say, give, and it will be given to you. God's going to take care of our needs. Again, maybe financially, maybe spiritually. My experience has been that when we're faithful in our giving, he blesses, he blesses us where we need it most. When we're faithful in financial giving, he blesses us where we need it most. So some will ask, man, where do I start? How do I, what's the next step I should take? You need to pray about that. Just as Paul said, you know, give 1%, give 5%, give 10%, give X number of dollars. I always encourage people to stretch yourself every year. Every six months, review it. Give you a little bit more than you did. I think 10% should be all of our goal. But the important thing when it comes to giving is not amounts, it's attitudes. And that's what this whole message is about today. The attitude that we have about our resources. The attitude that we have about the responsibility to those resources. And the attitude we should have that God is going to bring forth the harvest, the results. You can't say, I'm going to give, and this is what I'm going to expect back. You just have to know that God is going to meet your needs. Paul said, every man should give what he's decided in his heart to give. <laughs> I simply ask of you, this congregation, is to pray and ask the Holy Spirit about your giving level. 10% is not the law. It's a good guideline. It's a good target for some of you. But the number God gives you might be less than that. It might be more than that. We have multiple people that give far more than 10%. The thing that we can be sure of is God is calling each of us to have the right attitude. The right attitude about giving. Because when we fail to give, we're robbing God because it's all his to begin with. When we fail to give, we're robbing those 
who have need. Those who are sacrificing to leave their family, to leave their culture, and go to other countries to proclaim this gospel. When we fail to give, we're robbing ourselves of the blessings that God has in store for us. So let's take God at his word. Let's put him to the test as he asks us to. Let's be faithful in our giving. And I know he will open up the floodgates of blessings. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this time that we can learn from your word the principle of giving. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we're not under a law. We're not under a curse. We're not dealing with Old Testament obligation. But we're dealing, oh God, with heart issues. A heart of wanting to be generous. A heart that wants to give. A heart that wants to be aligned with your heart. I pray, oh Lord, that each of us will guard ourselves against being cynical. Guard ourselves, oh God, against trying to predict the results of the harvest. But Lord, I pray that each of us will hear from the Holy Spirit today, not just in this area of giving money, but giving of our time, giving of our counsel, serving you, Lord, whether it's down at the lighthouse serving a meal, whether it's teaching a, a small, small group in our home, whether it's serving you at the door as a greeter. Lord, this principle of giving really does go far beyond finances. Lord, help us to have the right attitude about our resources, about our responsibility, and about the results. In Jesus' name, amen.